Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Welcome to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast, episode number 100. And today we're tackling a topic that we haven't discussed so far on the podcast. We're talking all things cybersecurity, and we've been joined by Palo Alto Networks, who were founded in 2005 and is a leader in global uh, cybersecurity. They deliver innovation to enable secure digital transformation, even if the pace of change is accelerating. We'll be talking to Haider Pasha, who is the Senior Director and Chief Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks, Middle East and Africa. Within his role, he is responsible for elevating the company's regional profile in the cybersecurity in the security sector, expanding its visibility and credibility. He has skills strategically at guiding business partners and customers uh, to address challenging issues. Uh, good morning, uh, morning. Heather. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining us. So you are joining us remotely. We're on Zoom, uh, but you are also yeah. in Dubai. So you woke up in the fog this morning. <laughs> yes, I did. I did. Yeah. Interesting weather we've been having. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and you briefly explained that, uh, you know, you know, that you can't join us in the studio. There's lots of security process in place. Is that because it's a global uh, policy for the company or is that in line with cybersecurity as well? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, because, uh, you know, being, a, being an American company, of course, and, and the fact that we want to make sure that our employees are, are safe and secure always, uh, we're being uh, precautious right now. And, uh, you know, one of the, the, the requirements really is to be careful and, and not really interact as much outside uh, of our homes. So um, Palo Alto has, uh, has us working from our homes uh, at this point in time. They've given us the capabilities both from a digital as well as a security perspective to do our day-to-day -day jobs as if we were actually in the office. Um, and so this work from home uh, piece is, is, uh, is critical to what we do. And, uh, you know, we're doing it uh, for the time being. And uh, hopefully as we start to see vaccines rolled out and the number of infections uh, go down, um, you know, then uh, we will have a little bit more flexibility to, to actually travel and, of course, uh, visit as well. So, but yeah, currently we have this, uh, you know, the, the flexibility of, uh, of uh, working from home and uh, continue to, uh, to operate here. Interesting. And can you talk a bit about that? So the, the pandemic, the impact of cybersecurity, uh, did you have to change guidelines, change advice and internally how you operate as well? Yeah, uh, maybe I can start with a quick introduction for Palo Alto Networks. I think a lot of our listeners probably uh, might be curious to hear, uh, and, and hopefully they've heard of us, uh, but might be curious to hear a little bit more about what it is that we do. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and then I'll, I'll go into your, your question in a little bit more detail. Um, so we are, um, as you as you said in the beginning, you know, we're, we're focused on cybersecurity and we're a world leader, a global leader for cybersecurity. Um, you know, our vision really is to um, see a world where each day is safer and more secure than the one before. Um, and our focus, or you could say our mission really is to make sure that we are partnering uh, you know, and the key partner of choice when it comes to cybersecurity for organizations, whether they be government enterprises, you know, small and medium, or, or even, you know, consumers to a certain extent. Um, and it's really to help protect our digital way of life. I think that's, that's the, the, the key focus for what it is that we do. Um, the, the, you know, if, if you go back to the question, I think the, the, 
the pandemic has really changed a lot of what we, and not just Palo Alto, but what we as, as businesses have been uh, had to, uh, you know, struggle with. Uh, you know, I remember in the early days, uh, this is now almost a year, I can't believe that we started with lockdowns. Um, but, I, uh, you know, the majority of the businesses that we would work with, you know, had to worry about uh, employees working from home. I mean, most of the CIOs that I used to speak with uh, had only catered to have about 15 to 20% of their employees to work from home. And then all of a sudden, or literally in some cases overnight, you're sending all your employees at home, and now you have to cater to more than 90% of those employees to actually connect remotely. And so um, scale and capacity became a critical issue right off the bat when those lockdowns began. And even today, to a certain extent, you know, CIOs and CISOs are struggling with that. But security, of course, took a, a very um, uh, high priority on that list as well, because now you've got your employees and your data, of course, sitting in in, in home offices uh, or as the office of one, as one of the CIOs that I spoke with called it. And um, the challenge is, you know, how do I ensure that that security is protected? It's not just about you know having the employee take their laptop or uh, you know the, the piece of data home. It's how do I ensure the same level of cybersecurity capabilities they were uh, having in the office are actually also being delivered in their home office. Um, and a simple VPN link just purely wasn't enough. Mm. And so to go back to your original question, at Palo Alto, we in incorporated, and we've been doing this for many years, but we incorporated um, our ability to use this uh, a, a specific type of service. I won't get into the technicalities of this, but it's, it's typically Gartner calls this the Secure Access Service Edge uh, technology or SASE. Um, and so we have a similar offering and we, we expanded it obviously to our employees even before the pandemic began. So when we went home and as you can see now, as, as I sit at home and as I'm connecting, you know, the security capabilities are exactly the same as if I was in the office uh, from a firewalling perspective or intrusion prevention perspective and all the typical things that you would expect from a cybersecurity element, you know, protecting my, my laptops and, and the data all being done, um, you know, remotely with the same level of security capabilities. Um, so that puts us as ease. And of course, you know, to the point I made earlier, I think it's we've helped a lot of our customers move in that direction as well. And, and I think we are in a much better shape than we were a year ago mm. uh, with uh, with a lot of, uh, you know, customers. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's definitely an area that we've adapted to. Amazing. Yeah, I'm sure the last year has asked different questions of cybersecurity, both from a pandemic point of view and just from the uh, general acceleration of digital transformation within organizations. And before we touch yeah. on, you know, the important things for cybersecurity this year, um, you know, where how has it evolved? So Palo Alto, 2005, uh, you're, you're named after the, the birth of many of the global tech giants who obviously have cybersecurity at, at their, you know, as a top priority. How, how did the, the kind of general story of the company evolve to being in Dubai, basically, uh, you know, 16 years later? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, uh, you know, we, we were born to, to initially solve a very specific problem. Um, and I've been in cybersecurity industry as well, as, as, as you know, I mean, more than 20 years. And I used to be based out of the Bay Area. So I was based out of Silicon Valley for about seven, eight years. Um, and uh, Palo Alto, as you know, is a famous, uh, you know, that's where Stanford is. And all of, as you said, you know, rightly, a lot of uh, Bay Area or Silicon Valley companies have come out of. Um, so we were we were born primarily to solve a key challenge that we felt existed uh, and that we knew and our customers used to complain about that existed in the firewall market. Um, the traditional approach of how a firewall operated was very much focusing on IP addresses and, and, and kind of blocking certain types of uh, ports and things like that. It was very much in the traditional form, again, not to get into the technicalities, but in the traditional form, it was purely at a networking layer. 
right? Um, and that wasn't enough. Uh, and, and a lot of customers were building applications at the time. They would be expanding on uh, applying additional services for their customers and for their employees. And they needed that application layer visibility. And they needed it without actually having to have any latency on the device itself. So the moment you switch on application layer inspection that generally in most other solutions uh, would require a CPU to get kicked in and CPUs were slow and of course, you know, would, would hamper the, the speed of, of the device and it would essentially become a, a, a speed bump or a bottleneck, uh, you know, in, in the network. Can you explain? So we created. So can yeah. you explain CPU? I won't interrupt in every acronym, but maybe a few. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, so the computer computing processing unit. So, um, you know, this is the uh, what we see in our laptops today, right? So when we look at Intel and when we look at, uh, you know, a couple of other vendors in that space, that's generally the, the, the processor essentially that gets involved. Um, but are they, the, um, are, they, are they the semiconductor space as well? Are they the, the chips? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. It's it's they're generally chip uh, chip based, but they also use a lot of software on top in order to do the processing. So um, so that's generally what what ended up happening. So back about again back into the two thousand five or the early dec uh, you know a part of that decade, um, you know that was one of the challenges. Basically, speed became a big issue, um, and so we developed this device called the Next Generation Firewall that allowed us to do two things. It allowed us to uh, do that layer seven you know, or application layer inspection. Um, and it allowed us to do it in what we refer to as an architecture that we built called a single pass architecture, meaning you did not have to use the CPU or the processing unit to do all of those tasks. And that basically meant that we could actually switch on multiple functionalities of that device uh, without having to upgrade the device or the hardware in any way, shape, or form. Um, and so it revolutionized the way the firewalls operated, and we became very famous for becoming a next-gen firewall you know, vendor. Mm. And until today, we're, we're frankly in the market uh, primarily known as a leader in that next-gen firewall space. If you talk to Gartner, for example, they've, uh, they've rated us as a leader in that space nine years consecutively, and you know we continue to enjoy that leadership position both from a revenue perspective as well as a, an analyst perspective. Um, but to go to your initial question about how we evolved, you know, what we realized um, as we went down this journey is firewall is an excellent place to start because that's where all the traffic goes, that's where all the visibility is. But then customers also have a pain point where they're securing their endpoints, which is their laptops and their servers. Uh, they also have a pain point as they transition to the cloud. And we saw that very much speed up over the course of the last 12 months, which we'll talk about later. Um, so security became a critical element. You want to be able to have those security cameras, if you will, in each one of those three key areas. Um, and so we began this journey about five years ago almost, where we looked at the cloud, we looked at you know, visibility, and, and really started building out an analytics platform that allows mm -hmm. us to then combine the data from all three aspects using tools that we created. And today our customers who, are, who uh, you know, have these solutions are enjoying that visibility, they're enjoying the control of their data, they're enjoying in making sure that you know, from a security perspective that they've got the right uh, platform in place that's properly integrated. And, mm. and I think that's why we've become such a leader. And today you know, we service 95% of the Fortune 100 because of that precise reason. Mm. And cybersecurity is all we do. We don't focus on routing and switching and you know, 20 other different technologies. We purely focus on cybersecurity. And everyone who partners with us, the companies like you know, the large cloud providers like Amazon or Alibaba or Google or, or, or Microsoft Azure, you know, they see us in that key space um, and, and they, they want uh, and they build our, our tools and our technologies inside of their cloud services to ensure that customers get that level of protection. Wow, interesting. A lot to kind of digest and take in there. Uh, so talking about some of the kind of current things in, in cybersecurity, 
how are companies looking at this? Uh, are they saying, okay, I need to uh, protect the firewall. I need to protect my passwords. I need to protect my customer data. Or I need to prevent myself from being uh, hacked. We talk, we hear a lot about cyber hacking and different types of things like that. You know, are uh, either are they writing down sort of five or big? You know, what what do people generally think cybersecurity is to their business? Yeah, it's a, again a very good question. I think uh, um, it, it's changed a lot. I'll be honest. I think um, over the course of the last um, two decades that I've been in this business, um, you know, when when I initially began my career. Um, in cybersecurity, the focus was always looking at cybersecurity as some form of insurance that companies would build in, right? Mm. So if I purchase this firewall or if I purchase this security device, uh, at least I'll know I won't be breached. Uh, and I think that way of thinking has changed quite drastically, um, especially in the last couple of years. And again, especially during the pandemic. Um, uh, first, you've got to look at two sort of uh, um, two trends essentially in the market that are, that have really transitioned cybersecurity to the level that it is now. The first is uh, from an attacker point of view. Um, you know, if, if I gave you a quick history lesson in terms of how attacks actually have you know have started to grow, uh, twenty years ago we we used to talk about you know malicious code and worms and viruses. Right, this is generally what used to be become top of mind, and organizations were worried that there would be some sort of a virus on their machine that it would eventually spread into a worm and, and, and go across the environment. Mm. Um, that was generally where we started off, and that's where cybersecurity really picked up uh, some steam. But what attackers uh, you know, learned very quickly is that there's money to be had, uh, besides just fame uh, and in some cases hacktivism, there, there's money to be had in, in this particular space. If I can take control of somebody's machine, such as a critical server, for example, or even some uh, consumer's mobile device, you know, I can request for some form of a ransom, right? And so ransomware became quite critical in the, in you could say the middle uh, to the early uh, 2010s. Mm. Um, and and it, it became kind of this consistent uh, uh, challenge for companies because, uh, you know, how do you ensure that uh, our employees or consumers aren't clicking on, you know, malicious links through certain email traffic, you know, also known as spear phishing uh, type, type email traffic that really started seeing a massive rise uh, as well. Um, because ultimately what would happen is if, you know, if I'm an attacker and I know you, I could send you an email, customize it to a certain extent that I know you might be interested in, perhaps based on some research I've done on you, based on your social profile on Facebook or wherever. And so I know you may be interested in a specific topic, so I'll, I'll customize it and send it across to you. When you click on that link, you're going to be redirected to a malicious website that I've created, uh, and then you would inadvertently download something uh, such uh, that I can take and, access to your device. And you might make that website look like an official government entity or, or an official uh, exactly. inst it could financial be, institution. It, yeah. Hundred percent. It could be your bank's. Uh, you know, uh, it look might look at like your bank's page. It might look like you know a government entity, as, as you rightly said. So, um, uh, you know, uh, we we start to see that really pick up a lot of steam in the last decade, and ransomware became a critical issue. Spear phishing as a result of that as well. But over the course of the last, I'd say, five years now, we've started to see a rise of not just the social engineering or, or sort of ransomware piece. We've seen we've seen a rise of very targeted, specific, sophisticated low and slow attacks. Uh, and what that means is as an attacker now, I'm, I'm no longer in it to, you know, look at John's specific, uh, you know, uh, phone. I'm in it to get uh, certain assets uh, that a company has created, you know, such as R&D uh, uh, 
papers, for example, that are, that are uh, you know, in their private servers uh, and get that and seal it so that I can give it to you know, another organization and take some money as, as a result. Um, or you know, uh, uh, I, I, I can place ransomware on a hotel chain where I've essentially locked all of their digital doors uh, until they give me money, I'm not going to open uh, those doors up, and their right. uh, you know their uh, uh, customers can't come out of their rooms. So it, it, the use cases obviously change, right. and so those 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 uh, those focused attacks really became uh, uh, you know extremely high, and the sophistication became really high, and as a result, the impact of those attacks also became really high. And where we are today, if I fast forward to where we are now, and and perhaps even looking outwards, the focus is really on. Um, you know, everything from targeted organizations to, in some cases, nation states that are going after each other in, in, in certain cases around the world. Uh, this whole migration to the cloud that we've seen, especially pick up in the course of the last 12 months, you know, attackers now realize that customers are transitioning to the cloud, so they're putting up new types of, you know, uh, tools and techniques uh, in order to get, uh, gather or intercept that data or actually, you know, uh, find that data on the cloud. So th that, that landscape, I guess, is the ultimate point I'm making, has completely transformed, you know, mm -hmm. and it's continuously transforming. On the one side, we're trying to digitize, but the unintended consequence of digitization is always, uh, uh, you know, cyber attacks mm -hmm. and the increase of those attacks. Interesting. Um, plenty to kind of dissect there. Just uh, explain a little bit about the clouds. Uh, generally, if, if things are hosted on the clouds, people the adoption of the cloud might have been a bit slower for this very reason in terms yeah. of uh, people wanting to have their own service, their own data. If it's in your own house, then you feel like as if it's in one place. Where it's in the cloud, it's a shared place. It's <laughs> with everyone. Um, you don't really hold the kind of keys to it. Is um, what kind of changed? What was there better cybersecurity? How come everyone now has adopted the cloud uh, uh, at a kind of um, every every industry? You know, from I'm interesting some stories about we hear consumer stories about subscription and things like right. that. But you know, we we look back at we look at uh, you know. Um, Financial accounting software is now in the cloud with, with QuickBooks. We've seen Adobe move into the clouds. They used to be on disks and things like that. So it, it happens everywhere. Um, did they have to overcome um, a cybersecurity uh, stumbling block or a, 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 and how did they do that? Yeah, so um, I, I think, um, so, so there's a regional uh, answer to this and there's a global answer to this, but perhaps I'll start with the global and, and, and get, get to our regions specifically. Um, at a global level, I think, uh, you know, this transition began, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, more than five years ago. Yeah. If I, based out, even out of the US, we never really called it the cloud five years ago. Uh, but it was a cloud to a certain extent when a service provider was hosting a certain infrastructure or a particular platform and you know customers were using it we only started calling it cloud i guess maybe 15 years back um uh, it, i i think from a um from a cio perspective um you know they started to very quickly realize that there's this whole question of capex versus opex that they're, they're, they're struggling with right so they don't want to spend a lot of money in building things themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, they realize the advantage of actually uh, utilizing certain services that a provider is offering, whether it's a local service provider, whether it's a cloud service provider. Specifically, infrastructure is a, is a key element of that. So, and this is where you know the, the the expansion of AWS and you know Azure and GCP. If you look at those numbers, it's staggering the the, the growth levels that they've been having over the course of the last five to eight years. Um, and so CIOs realized that, you know, versus having to purchase, you know, 20 servers myself, I'll just 
purchase it at a, at a much lesser cost uh, as an instance sitting in the cloud service. And so from a cost perspective, of course, initially it, it, you know, it, it made sense. But from a maintenance perspective and to your point around cybersecurity, you know, that became a key challenge because initially they didn't really understand what we refer to in the market today as a shared responsibility model. Okay. So when it comes to cybersecurity, the infrastructure provider is responsible to secure their devices. They're not responsible to share uh, to uh, secure your data. So I might uh, use your infrastructure, uh, which the infrastructure provider will secure. But if I post my data onto your infrastructure and I'm using it as a service and I'm paying you a subscription cost for it, you're not there to actually secure my actual data itself. That's my responsibility as, as a consumer. So there were a lot of lessons learned. We, we start to see a lot of uh, breaches as a result where you know, customers had not followed best practices to secure their data on the cloud and, and there were some public and some not so public mm. uh, you know, breaches as a result. And then again, you, you, you look at our region specifically, we of course, uh, you know, in the Middle East, uh, especially we focus a lot, as you said earlier, around data residency and making sure that the, the data stays within, you know, our houses, as you said, or, you know, in, inside of our borders, uh, which is an important point because the, the biggest challenge with cloud uh, that CIOs and, and that we've learned, uh, you know, with, with uh, organizations moving to the cloud is, you, you generally have to prove that you still have control, visibility, and you continue to stay compliant with the data as it transitions to the cloud. I could mm -hmm. post something on AWS, and what's the guarantee that that piece of information does not move, or someone doesn't, whether inadvertently or uh, uh, by them, or actually wanting to move that piece of data from AWS to Azure, for example, mm -hmm. you know, which is a private uh, cloud instance, not a, not a company cloud instance. Um, so that became a key challenge. So when we look at the Middle East, this was one of the key mandates, and this is why we have this mandate is, if you're posting anything on the, on the public cloud, that piece of data has to stay in the country. And now you see the launch of Microsoft Azure uh, in, in the UAE. Um, you already know that uh, AWS has an instance in Bahrain. Um, we just saw an announcement from Google, uh, you know, working in partnership with Saudi Aramco in Saudi Arabia. Alibaba is coming to Saudi Arabia, and and, and you know, and, and there are a lot more announcements that I'm not mentioning right now. So, the, the these instances are coming up, and I think they've been accelerated a lot as a result of COVID because businesses here realize that they do need to use the cloud. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, the only piece of advice I have for those businesses is even if you're using local cloud instances make sure that you're following the security best practices yeah. uh, of securing your data because it's not the cloud provider's responsibility, it's your responsibility. Just, just to touch on that uh, about the, the cloud being uh, hosted here. So if I'm a business person and I'm looking for cloud services, uh, you know, the kind of rational questions I ask, uh, apart from cybersecurity, is speed and uh, location and nodes <laughs> and things like that. And a lot of, say, Amazon Web Services, we were told of that. And then, uh, but why is it a bigger issue? Why You mentioned the Google uh, arrangement with Aramco, and um, they retracted a blog last week. They put it back up. They got criticism for it. Why is it an issue? Why are people saying, uh, you know, Google uh, needs to be careful about how they communicate uh, clouds uh, hosting in the region? Like, is it a cybersecurity thing? Um, so I'm not aware of uh, of uh, the, uh, the specific blog, but um, in, in terms of 
uh, I think it's not just targeted just for Google. I think this is a common statement for all of the cloud providers uh, is that when you invest in the country and when you're building the data center services in the country, I think you have to be very clear in terms of what are the services that you're providing. Because it's easy to say that we're going to build a cloud service, but cloud means many things to many people. Uh, meaning from a, uh, from a services perspective, mm. I could be offering infrastructure, which is, you know, here's a bunch of servers and I'm offering it in a very specific way. You know, here's a bunch of servers and I'm offering it as infrastructure as a service. Or it could be a software-based uh, focus where, you know, a software as a service applications that I'm providing, such as email services like Office 365 to my customers, and I built the cloud instance as a result of that. Okay. So uh, you just have to be specific, I guess, is, is, is a key point. And uh, what, what do Palo Alto <coughs> networks do in terms of uh, the full range of your services you mentioned the proprietary yeah. software do you also do consulting do you have managed services or what's the full spectrum yeah it's a great question i think um uh, you know when when you look at some of the challenges i've just highlighted um you know it's important for us to to do really two things one we continue to innovate and we continue to see the challenges ahead of its time and, and, and we continue to build out solutions to overcome those challenges for our customers the other is we realize that we can't do it alone. You know? mm. So we do need to, where, where we where we can partner, we definitely partner, and where we feel that it's a better integration uh, story if we were to acquire an organization, then we acquire. And so we've done a mix of all three of those uh, areas. Um, if you just look at the last, I'd say maybe, uh, you know, even last two to three years, we've acquired a lot of organizations to complement e each of the key strategic priorities that I talked about earlier. The network with the next-gen firewall, the cloud, uh, as well as uh, you know, the analytical capabilities, which is traditionally in the form of a security operations center and helping organizations you know, build out their SOC functionalities uh, with a lot more ease. And so <clears throat> what we've done is we, we are offering these services both on-premise as well as cloud. Mm. Because again, as we said earlier, you know, we're very closely partnered with the likes of Google and AWS and, and, and Azure because as they roll out their services, when the customer comes back and says, okay, but I need a security firewall, for example, to protect that cloud server, you know, we have our firewall as part of that service offering that the cloud providers can, uh, okay. can, can build out as well. Okay, interesting. Uh, moving into kind of a uh, couple of topical things at the moment, which is uh, QR codes and WhatsApp's new policies. Uh, right. Specifically on, on WhatsApp, uh, there was a little bit of a backlash because uh, it's obviously owned by Facebook. Uh, you know, they promise of encrypted, but they want to do e-commerce. Uh, they want to get some data for e-commerce. Uh, people misinterpreted that for maybe the right reasons in terms of changing the data policy, and they delayed it until, uh, you know, later in the year. Uh, wh wh why do you think there's such emphasis on uh, this sort of policy announcements? And do you think that the customer in that instance, or in this case, was right to be concerned? Um, so, so if we take a if we take a step back and we look at WhatsApp specifically, I think you know um, uh, WhatsApp. I think like any other platform is a social is is helping us overcome a lot of the challenges we felt during those lockdowns, right? Uh, and even before so, but during the lockdowns, you you now have more than two billion people that are connected globally that really wanted to communicate with each other, right? Uh, they, they couldn't step out of the house and they wanted some form of an app-based social platform to communicate. But then WhatsApp obviously was, was a key messaging platform that allowed you to do that. Um, you know, the, 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 the key focus really is, um, it is a free tool, you know? Mm. And, and so sometimes uh, as we see in, in the market, when, when, you see, when you find something that is free of cost, um, there are certain uh, things that you may have to give up. Uh, 
privacy may might be one of them. I'm not saying it's 100%, but there may be certain aspects of your privacy. I'll give you an example. If you belong to a WhatsApp group, people on that WhatsApp group can actually see your phone number, you know, uh, and, and people that you may not know that are part of that WhatsApp group may be able to see your phone number. And that's a form of privacy that you're essentially giving up by using that particular platform. Mm. Um, and so privacy took center stage, I think, primarily now because WhatsApp uh, announced the new terms and, and conditions. And as you said earlier, you know, the, the focus was on, on e-commerce and using the data for e-commerce purposes. Um, uh, all I can say is I think the, the, as, a, as, a, as a consumer of those services um, and as a cybersecurity evangelist myself, yeah. you know, uh, you should always be careful of whatever uh, data or whatever type of sensitive data that you share on a public platform. Um, I know WhatsApp is encrypted in terms of their messages, and of course, they've got some very strong statements there in terms of what it is they share and they don't share. But even so, uh, you know, I'm always, uh, I always err on the side of caution when it comes to sharing any any piece of personal information, you know, in, in an open platform such as mm. that. And Facebook is another example, Instagram, whatever it is, because ultimately, you know, we do leave a digital footprint behind, mm. you know, and, and, and that you have to be cognizant of the fact that social media platforms are there to for you to promote your 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 digital footprint, but then you have to be very careful of what it is that you're sharing because again, attackers are out there. People with malicious intent are out there, and and if it becomes public or if you're sharing on a public platform and, and that data is out there, um, then they could use it to their advantage. What does encryption mean? <laughs> encryption, sure. Yeah. Um, so 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 think about a um, you know a piece of information that you and I want to share with each other. So so there's a piece of a let's say there's a letter. Right, so it's a physical letter that you've written up uh, that uh, that you want to share with me. Um, what encryption basically means is, versus me reading it as a simple, you know, in the alphabetical order that it, uh, that you want to send it in and in the right words that, that you send it in. Uh, if there's a third person, let's say the postman that's uh, that's receiving that letter and, and bringing it to me, they won't have the ability to open the letter and see what you've written because what you have actually done is you pseudonymized, you know, that data. So what you what that basically means is you swap the letters around in a way that only you and I have a key for mm. that we will then use in order to uh, decrypt, if you will, that piece of information. Mm. So anyone in the middle can't really read that uh, that letter or whatever that uh, what it is that you've written. Um, that's in the simplest way I could explain what encryption is. No, no very good. And I like the uh, analogy of previous media, previous ways of communication as well, because it just reminds us of the evolution of, of messaging and communication. Uh, and then yeah. when we, what do you think either is the next step for uh, messaging apps? Uh, you know, there's been a shift lately onto Signal uh, and things like that and, and many others, uh, Telegram and, and a few others. Yeah. Uh, where do you think we are right now and how important a role does encryption and cybersecurity play in the next wave? Look, I, I, I think generally uh, from a security perspective, the privacy and regulations of organizations will change all the time. Right? Okay. Uh, and, and I think from a consumer standpoint, you know, my, my view of privacy will change as well. And frankly, uh, you know, we, and there's plenty of surveys out there and we've done a few ourselves where we look at age groups, you know, uh, you and I may have a different form and a different view of how critical our privacy is. Mm. Teenagers might not, you know, the new, you know, generations that are coming out may have a completely different point of view. So privacy uh, in regulations will change. Now, um, uh, you know, where do I see this heading? I think, you know, uh, what what we've learned from the, from WhatsApp, 
from from what we've been seeing with with the WhatsApp communication and stuff, is that um, uh, you know consumers are worried about their privacy and they are worried about what gets shared and how it gets shared and they want to see where their data is stored, uh, where it's uh, you know used and how it's destroyed. Um, and so there are certain applications out there that perhaps uh, can give us that level of confidence. Um, but we still need to verify, you know, mm. uh, it, it, it's, we still, whichever application platform that you're using, whether it's Signal or wherever, you do need to be very clear in terms of what their terms and conditions are, uh, you know, and have some form of a, a, a statement from them or at least some sort of show of proof of exactly how that data is being processed and where it's being stored. Mm. Um, because uh, I think what, what all of this with WhatsApp has done is really created a lot of new levels of awareness around privacy that I think the new social application platforms, or even the existing ones, will have to will have to cater for. And yeah, an interesting. Uh, the, you you mentioned regulation. Um, this has yeah. been a big sort of talking point in the U.S. in terms of responsibility about, uh, and often is over the years. And I'm sure you would have come across it a lot in the Bay Area uh, with some of those companies. Uh, but where where do you think is the responsibility on the company? You know, Apple, do they want their new iOS update? They're making things more private now and Facebook aren't happy. And But it, where does this live? Like, is that supposed to, you know, regulation can play such an important role. Um, and But do you think it's, it's, it's kind of a shared responsibility between the regulators and also uh, the companies as well? Uh, uh, so, I, so the short answer is yes, and I and I would actually add even the the, the third people are the people who create the, the data, which is the consumers themselves. It's okay. also shared responsibility with them as well. Um, I think between the three, um, it's important to to identify what is sensitive data, what is personal identifiable information, uh, you know, for that specific country. And certain regulations have different views of what PII is in Europe. You know, IP addresses can count as PII. You know, in, in the PII US, certain, is sorry? Uh, personal personal identifier information. Okay. So this is it's generally where uh, you know, if you take the US as an example, even Dubai, uh, you know, your Emirates ID number is considered a PII piece of data, right? So um, and so the regulation will state that PII data cannot be either stored or cannot leave the boundaries of a certain country, for example, because that's considered sensitive data. It can be attached to certain things that you, know, that you as, an, as an individual are doing. Um, so uh, from a regulations perspective, back to your point, I think you know, uh, first we need to understand what that regulation is in the respective country that we're in. Uh, we need to make sure that we know what is sensitive and what is not um uh, uh, based on the regulation that uh, that's that's giving us that that piece of advice or, or guidance um and then the company the processor uh, uh of, of that uh, information uh, as well as the originating person that's creating that piece of data all have to make sure that they comply with whatever that re regulation is mm -hmm. and, and, how they it. Um, and if they can satisfy that um you know then i think within the laws of how you're you're you're, you're sharing from a privacy perspective then you should have a certain level of um, uh, you know, confidence uh, in that particular application or, or tool that you're using to, to share your data. Interesting. Yeah, good way of looking at it. Um, moving on to kind of last topic is around the role of, of CIOs. And I purposely didn't bring this up before because it's so, you know, uh, the companies that you work with obviously have chief information officers uh, and it's, uh, you know, they, they speak to the board. It's really important. But where's the starting point? Uh, at what point do companies start thinking about a chief information officer and where does that sit? You know, is it beside the operations, IT? Uh, wh wh where does it sit and how do we look at it and what's the entry point? 
Yeah, great question. Um, I think um, uh, the role of the CIO has really transformed over the course of the last um, you know, uh, couple of years. Um, even in the last year, for that matter, the majority of CIOs I've spoken with as a result of the pandemic no longer are um, you know, individuals that are essentially reporting to the board of you know, certain metrics and certain programs that they're trying to run. I think the board is really looking at them as sort of enablers to their business now and, and, and really looking for guidance from CIOs in terms of, okay, we know now that we have to be digital. Mm. We know that, and, and regardless of industry at this point, right? I mean, initially it was, you know, industries like the financial industry, for example, was very much top of mind and they were usually leading from when it came to digital services for their consumers. But now you look at healthcare, you look at even governments uh, in the services that they're offering for their citizens. Uh, and then with people working from home and, and really giving that level of connectivity and collaboration, CIOs are really being asked a lot of key questions from the board. And the first and probably the most critical and that's top of mind is how well do you understand our business and how well are you helping our business continue to innovate and continue to stay ahead? And what type of digital transformation programs do you need to run in order to do that? Mm. Um, the, the majority of CIOs that I spoke with, I think, had a certain level of confidence um, in terms of their ability to, to do this. Um, some are learning, uh, you know, and some of them are almost sort of unteaching and teaching the board of what digital really means and, and the value of uh, how what digitization is to, to, to that specific business. Mm. Um, so business alignment is important. The second piece that's also critical is risk. You know, the CIO now has to actually be able to explain and quantify the risk that the business has as they develop new uh, digital platforms and digital solutions. Um, because it's no longer acceptable to be posting information to the cloud, as we said earlier. We now have to say, if we move to the cloud, here's the level of risk that increases for cyber attacks or other uh, other challenges that we might see to the business itself. So they need to be able to quantify that and they need to be able to say that they've got the visibility and intelligence you know, uh, to, to move in, in that direction. Um, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, amazing. So if you're speaking to a company, uh, you're in the Middle East, Palo Alto Networks, and you work with a company and they don't have a CIO, uh, what sort of questions do you start asking? Do you have a corporate governance policy? Do you have cookies and uh, terms and conditions on your website? Are you similarly compliant with the European GDPR? Are, are these the type of questions that you would ask or that a CIO would ask? Or how does that work? Yeah, I think the, the, the most important one is uh, to ask is, what are you doing digitally um, to transform your business so you are staying ahead of the competition? Um, that's the first question that I would ask. Okay. Um, and it doesn't matter who does it. It could be a CIO. We see a rise of chief digital officers. Uh, you know, CTOs or chief technology officers. Again, I, I won't get too involved with the key title of the individual. My focus would be on the business, uh, you know, or the, or the board or, or the customer themselves to ask the question is how are you staying ahead of competition? Uh, and how are you adapting to, you know, COVID and, and obviously the landscape that we're in right now to make mm -hmm. sure that you stay ahead? Uh, from a competition perspective, and of course, from a cost perspective as well, because uh, you know uh, it's not just about staying ahead of the competitors if you continue to uh, have your initiative affect the bottom line. So um, how are you ensuring from a cost efficiency perspective that you have the right technologies and, and right capabilities in place? And then the third question I probably ask is cybersecurity, because there can be no digital transformation without cybersecurity. You know? mm. So the questions of risk, of course, come top of mind, consistency for security, um, you know, uptime, all of those are important aspects. Regulations, as you rightly said, are all key questions to ask. Interesting. So I saw a tweet the other day saying something around cybersecurity and passwords and that a company that doesn't have, like the basic is to have 
double uh, authentication, password security. And I yeah. thought of our organization and I think of some of the SaaS products we use and you know, we're, we're say 20, 25 people and that double uh, authentication really slows us down. It really, really, really slows us down. <laughs> I, I get the importance of it, uh, but I kind of, you know, think of the opportunity costs and speeds and, you know, like what would you be advising people like that? Like how important is that sort of extra security? Well, how important is your data? Uh, yeah. Uh, so if if you if you lose that piece of information uh, what is the level of of uh, money that that's going to cost the organization if you don't follow that cybersecurity best practice i guess mm. i would be the question so um it, it, i completely agree with you in certain cases and i do understand as well that the cybersecurity sometimes can be viewed as a speed bump mm. uh you know for the organization but then we also need to take a step back and 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 this is why quantification of risk is so important you know you can't just say buy this so that this doesn't happen. No, you've got to be able to say, look, if we don't do this, yeah. this is the actual cost that it's going to cost the business for us to, you know, and this is how we're going to be impacted. So um, it's a fantastic question to say, you know, uh, uh, where do we see, but something as simple as two-factor authentication, we've known to actually prevent more than 70% of breaches. Okay. You know, so so it's a, it's a very simple best practice that I think you should employ, even as a consumer, by the way, and this is yeah. again going back to the question earlier about WhatsApp, this is one of the best practices I would mention to anyone who's listening right now is please make sure that you've turned on two-factor authentication for WhatsApp mm. because it's a very uh, one of the very common ways that WhatsApp gets uh, hacked or the accounts get hacked is, mm. uh, you know, s simply going through a WhatsApp group, looking at some random uh, phone uh, number of a person, sending a message, uh, you know, to that number and saying, you know, I need a verification code or I've sent your number or whatever. Can you please give me a verification code to my account? Mm. And the moment they see that SMS, they think it's a verification code for my account but in fact it's for them yeah and then i've automatically gotten that person's uh, account information so yeah. two-factor authentication prevents things like that interesting i like the practical ap application that makes sense i'm going to go do my homework and just <laughs> after this <laughs> great thank you Hyder. Just lastly so um what's your view on kind of the middle east region in general are you optimistic do you believe you know you moved here from the us do you believe that this is an mar market that will emerge um and yeah. uh yeah so what do you think you know, I've been, uh, uh, maybe I should have mentioned this in the beginning as well. I've been based, in fact, I grew up in the Middle East. So I grew up in Dubai uh, and Saudi Arabia to a certain extent. I ah. spent my first eight years in Saudi and then uh, in I think it was 83 or 84 is when we moved to Dubai. Um, so I've seen this region grow. I've seen, obviously, Dubai's home for me, like many other expats, I'm sure, you know, uh, this is the place where I grew up. And outside of the 10 or 11 years I lived in the U.S., Dubai is, is the only place that I've, uh, I've lived. Um, so uh, I, I'm extremely proud, um, you know, to see the, the country, the city, the region really change and, and develop over the course of the last couple of years. I'm also extremely proud to see the work that, um, you know, the government has been doing, uh, especially with uh, the, uh, the COVID vaccines and, and kind of managing the situation as well. Um, I think technology has really taken a, a front step uh, when it comes to the way they're dealing with everything. If you look at even just your services as an expat in the UAE and what you can actually do online now versus where you were perhaps five or eight years ago, or even for me as I was growing up, you know, it's 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 a night and day difference. Uh, but then cybersecurity, of course, is pretty much lock and step with, with what the governments uh, are doing across this region as well. You, you see locals... Uh, uh, sort of regulations adapt, you know, to things like cloud. You see those regulations coming out in the UAE, of course, in Saudi Arabia and other parts of the, and, uh, the region. And maybe blockchain as well and things like that. 
Yeah, and you see an increase of new technologies, AI, of course, you know, we didn't talk mm. a lot about artificial intelligence, but mm. you know, I think the government and I think anyone should really realize that for you to properly do a, 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 a artificial intelligence or machine learning, you know, you need vast amounts of computational space and you mm. need vast amounts of storage. Mm. You know, that's how AI will operate, you know, and you and many businesses can't afford that. You know, I can't build a, a data center, you know, the size of uh, Dubai Mall. Uh, in order to for me to do the the you know uh, machine learning or AI capabilities that I need, and this is where cloud becomes so important. And so the government sees that, and so they're opening up and they're adapting their their capabilities so that we can start to use cloud a lot more, so that we can we can build and and start to use some of the new emerging technologies that are available. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being a great guest, Hyder, and making it a difficult topic accessible to us all. Uh, appreciate your time this morning, and we'll follow Palo Alto's networks journey in the region as well. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. That's it for another episode of Dubai Works. Thank you so much for listening. And please leave a review on the podcast platform that you're listening to. It really helps with organic searches. Also, if you'd like to appear on Dubai Works or know someone who has an inspiring business story in Dubai, please do get in touch on any of the smashy social platforms.